With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 400th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the most admired stage and screen actresses of her generation. She first burst into the public's consciousness 28 years ago on The X-Files, Chris Carter's groundbreaking sci-fi drama for Fox, playing FBI agent Dana Scully, a young woman with a medical degree and a graduate degree in physics who, with her partner, David Duchovny's agent Fox Mulder, investigates unsolved cases of paranormal phenomena. She played Scully, who the New York Times described as, quote, one of the coolest, most competent professional women ever portrayed on television, close quote, over the course of an initial run of nine seasons, then two movie spinoffs and two revival seasons, picking up an Emmy, a Golden Globe Award and a SAG Award along the way. In between, she has also shined in indie films like The House of Mirth and The Last King of Scotland and on TV programs, including Bleak House, Great Expectations, The Fall. Hannibal, American Gods, and Sex Education. But never has she received more glowing notices than she did for her portrayal of British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher on the fourth season of the Netflix drama series The Crown, for which she has already won a Golden Globe Award, a SAG Award, and a Critics' Choice Award, and for which she is nominated for and heavily favored to win the Best Supporting Actress in a Drama Series Emmy Award on September 19th. The great Gillian Anderson. Over the course of our conversation, the 53-year-old and I discuss the conflicted feeling she has when she thinks back to her years on The X-Files, why, after The X-Files, she fled Hollywood and screen acting for a number of years, and why she subsequently returned to both, what it means to her, after so many ups and downs in the business, to receive universal acclaim for her work on The Crown, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Jillian, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Great to have you. And uh, on this one, we always begin truly at the beginning. If you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners, where were you born and raised and what did your parents do for a living? Oh, gosh. Uh, I w well, I was born in Chicago. And at the time, I think both of my parents were still what were social workers or maybe one of them was a social worker, my, and maybe my mom, my dad was in school or something or other. And then I was raised between the UK and Michigan. Now, why was that? Why was the moving around happening? Because there was a few back and forths, right? There were. I mean, I, I, w I was in uh, Chicago for about six months, uh, or we were. We were in Chicago for six months, and then we moved to Puerto Rico because my dad's uh, family was living there and they were trying to save money. My parents were trying to save money so my dad could go to a film school. They'd chosen London. And so we were there for about 15 months and then we moved to the UK when I was two. And then my dad went to the London Film School and my mom, I think pretty much right away, got a job with um, Lloyd's Bank doing programming. Now, your dad, was he looking to be an actor or a film or a director or what was his aspiration? I, I think ultimately he was looking to be a director. And um, and then when when we eventually moved to the U.S. again, it was um, it was going after a, a particular job that he'd been offered making industrial films in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then he ended up um, starting his own company called Motion Picture Makers. And I th I'm pretty sure that the intention was always to direct, but then he, in building his business, he ended up getting sidetracked with all the other stuff that one has to do when 
one, and and then they ended up um, making a, a post production company called Trillion that was post production for I think predominantly commercials and industrial films, but. I was going to say industrial films at one time were big business. So, I, and I imagine in Michigan, especially so, so that's interesting. Um, yeah. So for you though, from what I've been able to gather doing my prep for this, it seems like there was always sort of a desire to act. I'd read this one thing where you, I think you said it was the first time you were acknowledging this, but that you would sometimes as a kid stand in front of the mirror and just try to inhabit different people. But it does sound like, a lot of the acting you did in, when you were a teen was was acting out, right? There was some there was some kind of uh, rebellious streak. What, what was that about? Uh, yeah, well, that's 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 the question of the century. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I I I I have a good sense of what all that was about. But you're right. It was that there was a lot of. Um, I, I don't actually remember when the first moment was that I thought that I wanted to be an actor um i i i must have been influenced in some way by the fact that um i you know i visited my dad at the film school i think he made a short film for uh the film school at one point that i i think i was in and then i auditioned when i was in michigan for for some you know community theater productions and and it was after actually getting cast in one that I then had the experience of feeling what it was like to properly to properly act. I think prior to that, maybe uh, I'd been stuck in some Christmas show or something like that, but that had been the extent of it. So I think that's probably what got the ball rolling in my in my mind. And yeah, I do remember standing in front of the mirror, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to make my face do various things. <laughs> <laughs> and then for for that, I guess, maybe overlapping with your involvement with community theater, high school productions and stuff, was this period of you just kind of uh, not wanting to conform, I guess, to, I don't know, I guess the way average person dressed or acted or whatever? I mean, what yeah, was that? I mean, I, I mean, I think a lot of that had to do with, with feeling so out of place um, in Michigan, having come from London, even though I, uh, I wasn't really old enough to understand all that the UK represented in terms of counterculture. That wasn't my experience. I only discovered counterculture while in Grand Rapids, and there was something about it that that spoke to a need in me to to act out and so um uh and also you know in what we used to go back to the UK in the summers because my parents had a like a, a small flat there for a long time and so as I got older and got to experience different parts of England and started to pay attention to the to the punks and the you know the various neighborhoods and and etc I uh, I started to embrace that. So how did your parents feel when, I guess, pretty much right off after high school, it seems like you you are part of this national theater program at Cornell. You're going off to theater school yourself in, in Chicago, uh, drama school yourself. I mean, was this something they were supportive of or was this also an act of rebellion? No, I actually don't feel like this was part of the rebellious part of myself um that there was a certain point where I had started to turn myself around a little bit and even though the desire to rebel didn't leave me and certainly I took it away to college with me I had kind of cleaned up my act in terms of my schoolwork and my studies and started to pay proper attention to what I wanted my what I wanted to do and what I wanted my near future to look like. And so I had auditioned for the Goodman Theater School and gone there to audition and been accepted and found, uh, you know, a cheap apartment and done all that. And so I felt I was I was showing up in a way that was contrary perhaps to my previous behavior, even though once I ended up at school, I still looked like I was right out of the cure, and um, 
and went to classes. And, and actually, for the entire time that I was there at school, you know, it, after four years of theater school and then showing up to these agents in New York who were wanting to represent me, I was still wearing those kind of clothes. And it was it was it was those agents who said, you know, you, you got to if, if you're going to go to auditions. <laughs> <laughs> you got to show up just a little bit more like the character that you're uh, auditioning for and less like something that was washed up on the shore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it was the fact that there was interest in representing you that that led you to then move to New York, right? I mean, that's where I, I guess what I would love, because this is uh, from all over the country and I guess the world, people, of course, aspiring actors converge on New York. But for you, what was the expectation of what that would be like? And then what was the reality of what it was like? I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know why for me, Chicago felt, even though I'd grown up in, and maybe it was because I grew up in a city like, like London and I knew what big city was. And so Chicago, even though I went to Chicago from Michigan, from Grand Rapids, Chicago still felt small town to me. And I knew that for some reason that I wasn't going to stay there or I, you know, or I didn't want to stay there um, for whatever reason that was. Um, and so, you know, had had that agent not said, come to New York and we'll represent you, I, I have to imagine I probably would have gone there or gone to L.A. anyway. I don't know how that would have you know, transpired, but I think I probably would have found my way there. So, but, you know, I think one imagines when it's much less so these days because of how, you know, how international productions are, how, how differently casting is done than it was done back there. I think it's much easier to be discovered today than just in a, a, a soda at a soda fountain or whatever in, in Los Angeles. Um, and so, uh, but back then I, I, you know, it was New York or Los Angeles, New York or Los Angeles. And why were you, you, it sounds like you were vehemently opposed to Los Angeles. Why was that? I think initially because, you know, the, the, the school that I was in was predominantly a theater school. And so that was, the training that I I had there, and as you said, going to this Cornell um, uh, Shakespeare summer, and uh, which was actually it, it was a, it was the it was the National Theatre of Great Britain in Cornell. Mm -hmm. um, but that you know, so much of my focus was towards doing theatre, even though I knew that I also wanted to do film. I think uh, I definitely wanted to start there. And, and so, um, and I imagined that it would be, it felt like a more realistic jumping off point for me to, to both parts of the industry, theater and film from New York than, than necessarily LA. I just didn't feel like an, an LA, I just felt like I wouldn't fit there. Sure. Well, I think the, the crazy thing about New York is that you can have great success in, off-Broadway, even on-Broadway for some people, uh, productions, and yet you're not going to, your your style of living may not change very much. And in fact, this is sort of what you experienced, I think, right? With the, the first of the breaks that I'm going to, you know, kind of just bring up here, you, I guess Mary Louise Parker gets sick, has to drop out of something at Manhattan now, Theater Mary Club. Louise Parker uh, decided to jump off the, the show to go and do... Um, Canyon, what, whatever, what was that movie? Um, not Coldwater Canyon. Laurel? I can't remember something. Was it, what? Yeah. No, not Laurel Canyon. I can't remember. She she went. <laughs> she jumped off production two weeks into the four weeks of rehearsal to do a film. Oh geez, well that and, was good. <laughs> um, it was good, and and because I um, you know had a British accent already. I came in, and even though I'd had you know no experience out of college, pretty much they they hired me. And, you know, you win a Theater World Award, you get all kinds of acclaim, but at the end of the day, you're still waitressing on the, at the same time, right? This yeah, is That's yeah. New York. <laughs> that's New York. Yeah. So was this something that kind of forced you to reconsider your position about L.A.? Because I guess screen acting, for all of its 
you know, things that are maybe less fulfilling than than stage acting does pay a little better, right? Yeah, no, it wasn't so much that. It was because I met a guy. I'd gone up to uh, the Long Wharf and done uh, another British production of The Philanthropist and met uh, a fellow actor. And so I was basically just going out to Los Angeles to to stay with him for, for a couple of weeks to visit him. And I ended up selling my return ticket, which you used to be able to do in those <laughs> days. You could literally sell you could you could sell your return flight i mean what world was that that we used to live in i sold my return ticket and i moved to los angeles and and moved in with him and i guess at that point you you the reality is there's not that much theater out here in la and so let's see what auditions we can get for film or god forbid tv yeah well god god forbid tv uh it certainly was in those days, I mean, I, I was very elitist and only wanted to audition for film and uh, and that just wasn't happening. I mean, I, I was, I was auditioning, but I wasn't being cast. And then and then at some point I got, um, I went for a, a TV audition for Class of 76. Yes. I did, I guest, I guest starred in, I think, an episode of Class of 76, but that was literally my only uh experience and then uh and then i got the audition for the x-files all right so i'm um, forgive me because i know you've probably talked to death about this but we have to address that uh chapter which was a big part of your life for a lot of years and and so just to note as you say you you get called in and to set the scene i think you're 24 with that one guest spot only for a network audition right which is a series of things and you're going to sign your life away, right? If you get the part and all of that. And so I guess the way I understand it, you kind of won over Chris Carter right away, but the network had a different idea of what kind of a person they wanted to put opposite Duchovny who'd already been cast. So what were you hearing as this evolved where I believe you've got the guy on your side who's most important and yet they're still meeting with other actresses well at the very beginning neither uh leads had been cast so in the first few days it turns out that they were looking for the guy and so we all the actresses who were there in the hallway waiting to go into the room with the producers were reading with various guys of which mr Duchovny was one of them and um and then so he was cast and then it was about casting the girl. And yes, I, I went into network. I had borrowed a suit. The suit was too big for me. They told me that I needed to come back wearing something a bit more streamlined. I think borrowed another suit or like pinned it up, I can't remember, and uh, came back again to network. And then I was told that they liked me, but they weren't sure. And, and then the next time I got called back, they'd also flown in Jill Hennessy and Cynthia Nixon from New York, all young women who I had been, uh, you know, auditioning for theater with in New York when I was living in New York. And I knew that, you know, and back then they weren't Cynthia Nixon and right, Jill right, Hennessy. Right. They were all just, you know. And so, you know, that was, um, I had to uh, check my ego at the door. And, <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, as they say, the rest is history. I got, well, do I you know what swung, what swung it? Like, was there, was there something? I don't, you know what? I have no idea. I mean, it could have been at the end of the day that, that Chris put his foot down. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. It could have been. Uh, it could have been so many different things. I, I I don't know what it was. It could have been the chemistry between the two of us, yeah. you know, which which was there, no matter what. You Did know, you you for the felt next... that from the beginning that it was always there? Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. But but who's to say that it wasn't also there with the other girls? I didn't know that. Well, so that might be the beginning of the answer to the next question. But I'm just really curious if you could try to step outside of yourself for a second, set aside humility, all of that, and just honestly, objectively. What do you think explains the 
fact that this was such a phenomenon when it hit, what elements would you point to as as explaining that? Well, I think there were so many things that went into it. I I, I do think that that at the top of the list would be would be the dynamic between the two of us. And I, I do think that was strong. And I think that the writers then made it even stronger. You know, at the end of every scene, we were to look at each other, you know, into each other's eyes <laughs> at the end of, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there was just, um, you know, the juxtaposition between Scully's nerdy, obsessive, scientific mind and and Mulder's cool dudes kind of underground brainiac chic they were just very good juxtaposed characters and then there was the chemistry and so I think that I also think that you know as they say which I didn't think we even knew was happening at the time but it was the beginning of appointment television and because of the nature of both the cliffhangers and the degree of suspense that were in the uh, what was in the shows and the fact that there was nothing even remotely like it anywhere i think all of those things made for a pretty addictive combination and what they started to find is that, you know, people were gathering together and, and meeting at houses and that it was bringing families together and fathers and daughters were watching it together and couples were staying together and all these things where people were becoming, you know, and people became very um, interested in these two characters, neither of whom, you know, had shown up, the, you know, the likes had shown up on television before. Right, and, and so... Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think that people, it's its easy to forget at a time when we have a lot of supernatural things on TV, whether it was Lost or Heroes or whatever, those probably wouldn't exist without X-Files. No. I mean, that was a trailblazer. No, but also you have to remember, in terms of young women, you know, such a large percentage of the female population seeing a woman that they could finally identify with on television who you know who wasn't six foot two and who wasn't um uh you know and who was pretty darn serious about her um about the things that she believed in and her and was incredibly smart and scully presented an attractive way to be intelligent. Yeah. And um, and there was a lot of, you know, a lot of young women out there who uh, who were, who found themselves getting drawn to this young woman who, who they were seeing for the first time who reminded them of themselves. Well, and I think, first, let's just remind people, not only is she a special agent with the FBI, but also has a, medical degree, a graduate degree in physics. I get. I think there's actually a thing that's been written about in medical journals and things, the Scully effect, right? Mm-hmm. That this caused a yeah. boom in, in women pursuing in STEM. those. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. So yeah. now for you as this mid 20 something person who's suddenly very famous, how did you acclimate to that? I know it was, I know you guys were at that time shooting in Vancouver, which may have helped you know, temper that a little bit, but how did you acclimate? Um, a lot of it had to do with being in Vancouver and the fact that, you know, we we could also have a life. I mean, no, we didn't have lives, but <laughs> let's say, let's say on the way to, or on the way from work, we were to stop at a Starbucks. We could stop at a Starbucks without paparazzi having followed us there. And that made a huge difference to our ability to stay sane. You know, we certainly had problems with that when we headed down to Los Angeles. But for the most part, we could just um, live our lives up there. And and also, yeah, and we were so, our hours were such that, you know, I, I, I wasn't reading anything. I didn't look at the tabloids. I didn't know the degree to what, what we, how we were impacting the world at that no point. No internet I think it really was, yet. No yeah, smartphones. Yeah, I know. It was only <laughs> when, it was only when the, the magazines would come to do interviews and they'd talk about how popular the show was. And I would be like, really? <laughs> wow. And then they talked to me about my, my whirlwind life. And I was like, yes, I, well, I had, <laughs> 
I had just got this job and I had gotten married and I had a baby and I got divorced. And yes, it was whirlwind, but, but it was also just life. I was just living my life. <laughs> well, and the thing that, I mean, now we live in the age of, uh, you know, Fleabag, for instance, wins best comedy series with, I think, six episodes in the season. You guys are doing 24, 25 and over nine years. And that's that actually, I believe, requires like literally three quarters of the year of being in production. So, yeah. I mean, that that model, there's a reason that I think people don't want to. Do it yeah. anymore, right? It's, it's unsustainable. Yeah, it really is. And 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 I think only the young can do it. I mean, actually, I always talk, I'm working with Kiefer Sutherland at the moment, and of course, he did 24, and so and he had that same kind of schedule. And you know, it's interesting talking to you know, talking to people who had that experience. Yeah. Back in the day, I mean, I I I don't know whether there's still um, that formula in anything, but yeah. It's awfully nice to do between 10, 8 and 10, <laughs> 8 and 12, somewhere right, in there. Right, right. Just a, a quick couple of uh, final things on that before we move on. I, I just want to ask you if you can kind of say true or false or con contextualize a, a few things that I read that kind of blow my mind. Was there something in the early years of that show that you had to stand a few feet behind Duchovny? Yeah. What is yeah. that? It was what the network wanted, that they wanted me to not be walking side by side with him as we were uh, walking from the vehicle to the to the house that we were knocking on to say we are agents Mulder and Scully. That is a truism. Wow. So that's crazy. And then also in those early few seasons, I guess, you know, he was more known than you were. But for a while there was there, you know, we talk about pay inequality all the time today. That was very much the case for the first few seasons, right? Yeah, well, and, and it made sense in the first few seasons. And, and in, in season three, I, I got to renegotiate and we got to get a, a little bit closer together in terms of pay. The big shock was, and which I've talked about quite a lot, is when, when we were doing the, the films, both the ones in the olden days and then also, I guess, the the newer seasons that came up in the last few years where they were trying to, pull the same stuff. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Then just one other thing about how, I mean, hopefully this has improved since then, but you were, as you say, I guess you became pregnant during the first season, have your child during the second season, but it doesn't sound like that was very, uh, warmly received by the network or collaborators or whatever. I guess, you know, it's, it's a new show. Maybe they were jarred by it or whatever, but I mean, it sounds like it was a stressful enough time that you once talked about having daily panic attacks. Just anything, if you can take me into your what your experience was during those earliest years when, you know, from the outside, everybody's falling in love with this show. Everybody's talking about it. You're having to grapple with some some heavy stuff every day. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I was young. I was very fortunate to get to get a hit show like that, you know, at, 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 so early on in your career and to be making that kind of money and to be having that kind of attention when you're only 24, 25, whatever. You know, that's that's um, and and there's been a lot, you know, a lot of situations where actors who have been child actors have a lot of trouble later on in life in terms of, you know, trying to recover from that kind of intensity so early in life and 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 etc and i think the, the 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 mixture of uh the surprise you know the mixture of the, the 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 pregnancy the mixture of the reaction from the studio the mixture of the hormones um that were suddenly you know and the hours that we were doing meant that I think my system was just on overload. And then that overload continued for a while because, you know, there was uh, struggling in my new marriage and, and then we were going through a divorce. And so it was a good period of time where I was definitely what felt like uh, definitely in survival mode. Um, you know, and and different people experienced that in, in different ways. You know, it's it's bizarre to experience it, it, it you know, it, it, in front of millions, well, not really in front of millions of people, but to, to have to, you know, to have to push it somewhere, to have to push it down, which is part, 
probably what the panic attacks were about was, you know, pushing down all of that in order to be able to show up to say my lines every day and to be her and the best version of her that I I could. And so, um, yeah, it was uh, it was intense for a while. Wow. Well, so after that show went to a close with the ninth after the ninth season, I guess it would be you. Well, even in the midst of it, you were doing certain I guess, hiatus projects, the most significant of which seems to have been the House of Mirth, which you talk about as a really big deal for you at the time. I guess, why is that? Was it just because it was a vote of confidence outside of the Scully universe? Yeah, yeah, it was a vote of confidence. And also, I was familiar with this quite obscure director, you know, and um and I had seen some of his films and really been moved by a couple of them. And um, and so the fact that he was asking me or asking for me to audition even was a really big deal uh, for me. And, and because, you know, back then you had Merchant Ivory films, you had all, all these period films that and I and I really wanted to have an opportunity to be part of that world the period film world. And so it, it, it was a big deal. And also, you know, trying to squeeze it in between, between seasons. And I guess maybe that one's also uh, maybe because it's period or whatever it is, it's sort of closer to what you had originally imagined you would be doing before you were diverted with this hit TV show, right? Very true. Very true. So that was during the run of X-Files, but after the run, when some people might say the, the safe move would have been to meet with everybody in town and, you know, strike while the iron's hot and get the next show or movie or whatever in L.A. You kind of, I guess, very deliberately did the exact opposite and go to back to London and do theater. Very well-received theater, but that's that's a that's an unexpected move. Why did you decide to do that? First and foremost, I think... I wanted to do something that was the complete antithesis of a hit TV show. Second of all, I I wasn't sure if I could be on a set again. Just because it's Period. triggering? Yeah. Well, no, I just, it was, you know, it was intense for night, for almost a decade. Yeah. And I mean, that's the equivalent of, of doing, you know, I don't know, six films a year or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, which is a lot, six films a year for for nine years. Um, And and uh, I was. uh, Yeah. And and also at the end of a a series, the the world gets very small, you know, the the, the sets and crews and but you both get you you get closer together, but it also can can become quite a, a challenging and. I don't want to say toxic environment, but quite incestuous and just just all, you know, enmeshed. And I just wanted to get as far out of that as possible. And and also I had always wanted to have a life back in London. I just had, you know, that was such a big part of my formative years and we were always going to move back to the UK in my mind as a kid. And I never quite felt like, a, I, I don't know, I had a mixed relationship with, with the States and where I belonged. And and uh, and so, and that was the first opportunity that I, I had to realize that dream. And so I, as soon as, actually even before the X-Files was done, I bought a house in London. Oh, wow. So you were, it was a very deliberate yeah. and, thing. And yeah. my initial plan was that I was going to be, you know, is that I'd be moving around a lot more and that I'd still be spending time in L.A., et cetera. And, and, and that wasn't the case. Well, and I, I mean, I know there are other things in between, but it does seem like it was about five years between let's say House of Mirth and then the next non X-Files screen project that you did that was a, a a major undertaking in this case Bleak House but like that's that's reflective of what you're talking about right like I just get me out of here yeah yeah and also once again people approaching me having 
a different idea of what they thought I was capable of doing outside of what it seemed Hollywood thought I was capable of doing. Did you feel that people were only coming to you for, I don't know, what, what was, was there a certain type of character you kept getting approached about? You know, actually, to be honest, it wasn't so much that. I don't even know if I was being approached by people at the end of uh, X-Files. And I've always um, uh, wondered about that. And I think a, a couple things. One, I think it, it was down to the particular representation that I had at the time. Two, it was, you know, F Fox even, they have such different... Um, divisions between, you know, film and television. There was a certain point where I thought, you know, later on I thought, why didn't Fox even come to me and say, hey, you're you're one of our biggest stars, come do this. But, but mostly, I'm not sure whether I would have said yes to much had, had it come my way because I was pretty determined to, to, you know, get away from it all for a little while and... Um, and really wanted to do to to do theater and and for some reason to do it to do it in london um and and that was that need and desire was greater than any desire to be a part of a bigger industry system let's just note though that when you did do these screen projects maybe somewhat reluctantly they were very or you were very well received, the House of Mirth, Best Actress, National Society of Film Critics Award nomination, Bleak House, BAFTA, and Golden Globe Best Actress nominations. I mean, at least on an internal level, could you, was that gratifying to know that anyone who was skeptical about your ability to do things other than Scully, you know, each time it's kind of, kind of showing that that's a stupid position. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, possibly. I don't know. I mean, I've been so immersed in my my life and my my other life, which is me as mom, um, and uh, and in my personal life and in the UK that I I don't think that I've really ever stopped to go, you know, to go. But can't you see? <laughs> you know, it's been, you know, I've been, I've been working at a pace that I've really enjoyed, and I've, I've felt very blessed and fortunate. And also, you know, I, uh, up until recently, I've been adamant not to ever be away from my kids for more than three weeks at a time, and so, and that's always worked out really well. You know, I've, I've been pre, I've been a, a. a pain in the ass to to cast because at the beginning I'm like okay I'm only your girl if I can shoot during these periods of time because if I can't and come back and see my kids then you've got the wrong person and and that's you know that became a really I mean so unbelievably blessed to be able to be in a position to be able to say that and but that it, you know that became really, really important to me. Oh, that's very admirable. And I think that there were obviously many things on stage that unfortunately, just by the nature of the medium, many of us didn't get to see, but have heard about like Streetcar and other, so, well, I guess that one actually was filmed, right? That was, I, I have to. It, it was filmed and it, and, and it came to New York. So you don't really have any excuse. No, I, I, get I understand. <laughs> uh, well, but it, the things that people were seeing, you know, where you would, pop up and be really good in Last King of Scotland or Great Expectations. But then we come to what I guess might be called the Anderson-assance, the, the, the renaissance of uh, the latest, latest period, latest chapter. And I, I'm going to just prompt you, if I can, about a few of these projects that have all piled up. I mean, The Fall is one of the most, uh, I think, acclaimed TV programs of the last decade. This is mm -hmm. 2013 to 2016. You're a detective investigating some murders that are unsolved and maybe connected. And uh, that I think was three seasons and yeah. very, uh, you know, seems like one of the most well-written shows, right? I guess that was, was that the draw there? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, even even when that came my way, I was still, uh, you know, I was still saying, no more TV, <laughs> no series, you know. <laughs> well, and at least it was manageable lengths, right? These were, what were <laughs> yeah, they, like no, six, seven? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. But then I read the first, I read even part of the first episode and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I, I love this writing so much. And I got her so quickly. Or at least I, I felt like I understood her so quickly on the page because the writing was so good, you know? And, that, and so, yes, yes, that was a huge blessing. Now that overlapped, I believe, with Hannibal, where... I think three seasons as well as the psychiatrist of, of Mr. Le Dr. Lecter. Uh, just, I guess, you know, we're talking about, I, uh, just as I'm saying that you had fewer episodes of The Fall, I now realize you're doing that probably at the same time as Hannibal, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yes, I was. And and that, I guess it evolved into being a, a reg it was originally a recurring part, but then became a, regular uh in season three is that right oh i don't know i i think it was i think maybe i just stayed as recurring because okay. i only wanted to do so many per season or only could do or yeah. i can't remember but uh yeah the set the same nightmare of uh yes i can do this but you can only have me <laughs> for for these weeks so well, yeah same but time. that can also sometimes result in you taking a part that might be smaller than people would think you would entertain and killing it, right? Like War and Peace. Mm. That's not not a huge. It is in the book, but not on on the limited series, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, not at all. And and yet that production, it was so clear that they were going to do, to um, to do a really special and you know version of War and Peace, um, and already had some wonderful actors attached to it. And it was about time we had another War and Peace out there. And uh, so, you know, really felt like something I wanted to be a part of. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming up to the, the present, but just got to mention, there was this interesting, un uncommon experience, I, I would guess, of 14 years after X-Files original run ends. Yes, there have been two movies, but to then go back for a, a, a limited series run of it, um, to step back into the character that you hadn't played for so long and that you'd had obviously conflicting emotions surrounding when you played her the first time. I mean, what, what even, I guess I might've assumed based on things we've talked about that that wouldn't have interested you to do, and yet you did it. And so I wonder why you did it and what it was like. Well, originally, I think the the first uh, way back was just six. Is Am I right? <laughs> so just the fact that it was just going to be six. I think the fact that it was uniting with David again, because, um, you know, that we, we didn't end united. And, and it felt like there was some closure uh, potentially needed. That was the initial reason to come back again. And then the reason to come back again, again, was to get even more closure. For me, it was to get even more closure on the first bit of closure, which wasn't really closure. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, 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 completely unbeknownst to me, that there was a, a sense that the second group of episodes were potentially going to be the beginning of a new series. They didn't bother to check with you about that? Well, that, I mean, <laughs> it, it's possible that th they were just hoping that if it went well, that it was, you know, that it wasn't. But I remember doing press for it and, and talking about it as being the end and people looking at me like both the press and, you know, the people ar around me looking at me like, 
what are you talking about? And I'm like, <laughs> this is the end. I'm not doing any, but like, this is the end, the end. And and for you, that was non, that would be non-negotiable. Like there would not oh, have God, been no. it. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. 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 Just yeah. because it's, yeah. it's, it's almost And probably... I think the fans, and, and I think the fans would actually agree, whereas they might not have agreed after, right? you know, that little mini se- season that we did, they were still wanting more, but I think they would agree even after the last season. Okay, so this brings us up to this incredible, I guess it would be approximately last two years where both, I mean, you are you are like the face of Netflix now where we're seeing you first with <laughs> Sex Education and then, of course, The Crown. But let's just, with Sex Education first, I think that what I found interesting here, you're, for people who don't know this, you're playing this sex therapist with a son who is uh, discovering sex himself. And for you, this was almost a no, right? I, or initially was a no. Why was that? Yeah, yeah. It was initially a no. I mean, I I have to tell you, I've been looking, as you might imagine, to do comedy for some time. And the minute it actually is uh, uh, on my plate, I reject it. Um, (laughs) But uh, it was initially a no. I was a bit worried that it was too broad, too on the nose, too, you know, which, of course, is kind of what it's all about. But I hadn't got that um, right up front. And... um, and so it took my my partner to kind of, you know, say, hang on a second, l- l- let me have a read of this, if, you know, <laughs> and convince me to uh, that, you know, that I needed to seriously consider it. And, and boy, am I glad I did. Because actually, uh, on the second read, you know, I, I don't know whether I got past half of the first episode but then when I went back to read it of course I got completely stuck in and read all the episodes pretty much in one sitting so you know that happens sometimes now was it in the was it after you'd already signed up to do that show that you that the ideas first broached about maybe you could be Margaret Thatcher or was this already in the works for a while Ah, uh, it's hard to remember. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't know. I think it's probably all around the same time. And even after the the idea was broached for Thatcher, there were still a couple more hurdles that needed to happen, you know, which is, you know, based on t- timing and schedule. And did a- anybody else agree with me other than <laughs> Peter uh, or with Peter Morgan other than himself about whether I, and anybody else thought that I might be able to do it? You know? and, and, and just obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is you guys at that time were I don't know, he may be the same partner that you're saying you showed sex education to and it made you uh, Yeah, that, that was all. No, 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 he was. He was the same. And, and he was the one who had brought up, would I consider doing that? Or did I mm-hmm. think that I could? Did and you think you could? I did think I could, but I can't tell you why. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you. I, it's the weird... It's, it's a weird thing, that, isn't it? Because, you know... Except, you know, something inside of me recognized that that it was attainable or that there was some kind of either recognition or or it's hard to even say identification It's less identification with her or her life or even her belief system. But something uh, I, I don't know whether it comes down to a certain and you wouldn't even doing this interview with me imagine how serious I can be sometimes. But I, you know, whether it's a, uh, a seriousness or an, a, a, an, a, a work ethic or an obsession about things or, a, or you know, all of those things seem quite trivial and uh, uh, petty compared to, you know, all that Margaret Thatcher was. But well, I, don't, I was going to say, so I wonder, hard. you know, yeah. that could have been a that could have been a relate for a lot of people to have uh a boyfriend say you remind me of Margaret Thatcher could be a relationship. I could have slapped him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I but, have, I How so, dare you? But I guess like you know, there's obviously a wonderful casting director on that show as well. I think Nina Gold, right? Who oh, had yeah. to believe in this also, right? Yeah. And she, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and also just in terms of what it could have done to our relationship at the time, you know, I think we were both scared about that and whether it was going to just whether it just it was even doable. You know, it's, it's always a challenge for people working together. But um, I said, well, yes. Well, no, it's a, and it's, and it's, 
great that it came together. And I thought it was really interesting that you have said that of all the direction you might have received, one of the things that Peter said that was maybe most helpful was, quote, it's really important that you maintain an element of yourself. We cast you for a reason, close quote. What is? What did you interpret that to mean? Like, what did, What should you not lose of yourself underneath the hair and makeup and padding and all of that? I guess, I guess how it helped was to not try and force myself so much into perfection with her that I... Because I think I, I sometimes have the tendency to kind of lose the bigger picture and to just get really, really specific in terms of uh, all the other element, elements of and 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 I think that for whatever reason that opened something up to me, it, it kind of let let the steam out of the pressure cooker a bit, you know, and part of that, I guess, is. You know, she had a twinkle in her eye. She had, you know, there was a, you know, and that was part of what, particularly the men around her, aside from her phenomenal brain and her sense of humor and wit, but, you know, she 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 had a, a twinkle. She knew how to, to grab people. And, and not that I have that but it allowed me to al allow a tiny bit of it's not even like mischievousness but there's a there's a it, it would be really really easy to get too closed and too serious right and somehow it allowed me to play a bit more inside of her I guess maybe well and I know that of course you do the you do the due diligence of reading and watching and whatever to to go into a character like this that's based on a real person. But I thought, you know, I was curious what your takeaway was or as you went in to play this woman who, in some, you know, in some ways it's a bit confounding to have a female trailblazer who gets to that level of, you know, success and yet, as it's noted, brings along only one female into her cabinet in 11 years who has such a different perspective on the world in some ways than the the queen, even though they're six months apart in age and both have reached the, uh, a kind of status that very few other women ever would, I guess just was there some rosebud moment for you that made you say, all right, I, I guess I, I get where she was coming from that I, in a way that I didn't before? Only in that I understood how, based on her childhood, how she became the woman that she was. I mean, I mean, some of it, I think she just came out of the womb with, honestly. And a lot of it, I think, uh, was, was influenced by her parents and the circumstance and their uh, Methodism and uh, her father being an alderman and the fact that they, you know, they had a family shop and, and they were incredibly frugal and, you know. And she also really, you know, she was not only a monarchist, but she loved great Britain, you know, she, she, and she felt like she could save the country. You know, she really felt, she, she felt like she knew that she would be the, she really believed that she knew what it would take. And I mean, I certainly don't identify with that in any way, shape or form, but, but I understand given who she was, why she would think that. Very last two things, if it's all right. Just uh, really curious, based on, you know, in, with, with hindsight now, we see how tremendously received this performance has been. Was that something that you, do you know in the moment, like while you're on set playing this character, something special is going on? Or do you have to see that, hear that or see that from others to kind of have that click? I mean, I didn't even have that sense after watching the episodes. It really is only when people are responding that I, I kind of take my hands away from my eyes and my fingers out of my ears. It's hard. It's so hard to know because, you know, I, I've had experience before with, you know, at the very beginning of my career, and I've spoken about this before, you know, doing something, doing House of Mirth, where I put my blood, sweat, and tears into something and 
And then, you know, there was a there was a review that came out that literally made me want to quit. I, 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 I thought I, I need to quit. And interestingly, the same thing happened this time around. There's a British writer who did almost the same thing and made it personal, made it really, really personal. And I didn't read any reviews save two, and it happened to be the second one that I opened. Can and, we, can we um, name and shame this asshole? Who is this? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> No, no, no. There's no, there's no need for that. But it is interesting how different, you know, however many decades on, a different of response I had to it. You know, previously having been, oh, this is the end. This means I'm not. They think, I, you know, whatever I made up in my mind about how bad I was to now, you know, thinking everybody has their own opinion. And right. I knew going in that it was... You know, that it was a tall order. I knew that the stakes were high. I knew that I was either, you know, there's as much likelihood that I will fall flat on my face as there is that I will, you know, succeed. And I need to be okay with with either of those. And it may come out and be mediocre. It may come out and people may have, you know, some people may absolutely hate it and some people may love it. And I, none of that can be, in my head, and it can be none of my business. All I can do is is show up and do the best that I can do on a daily basis, and then I just have to hand it over and um, and hope for the best. <laughs> well, this this leads to the final question, which is, you know, even if you set aside the reviews, and I and I do get like I've heard often people actors say, you know, if you believe them when they're good, you have to believe them when they're bad or whatever. So there's re- I get that reluctance, but that being said. I think it was for the fourth season of the X-Files that you were the first person to ever win an Emmy, a SAG award and a Golden Globe award for the same performance in the same season. This season or this year, here we are. I think we've had already what? Golden Globe, SAG, maybe the last Golden Globes by the way. <laughs> Golden Globe, SAG, Critics Choice coming up on the Emmys. I mean, it does feel like this is a, a pretty incredible moment, and I wonder if it if it kind of is particularly validating after all of the various ups and downs that we've spent the last hour discussing. How does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> you're, making, you're actually making me really emotional. Um, I don't know. You know, it's interesting because there there are you know that there are performances along the way that, of course, given. Um, either audience reaction or critical reaction, one gets a bit flummoxed about why one's not nominated, you know, like for the fall. No, no nominations for anybody in those, you know, director, writer, actors. That 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 confused me, you know, and, and at those moments you think, gosh, how, what's the barometer? You know, how do I... Or I think at the time, you know, feeling... The same with great expectations that that got very little attention from from people, and then um, and then now sex ed, you know, sex ed's not getting you know for for uh, quite a few of us. You never know, you never know, and and all you can do is is keep showing up and following your heart and doing it for yourself. And sometimes doing it to keep the roof over your and your children's heads, <laughs> and um, try and make you know good, sound, you know ethical, and sometimes hopefully profound choices. But at the end of the day, if you're doing it for you, and you're you're confident and proud of what you've put into it and how you've shown up for it for yourself and for your fellow actors and artists then 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 it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day what the reaction is except to say it feels really great when there is um you know when there is this kind of attention for something um like this and and it does it makes me really emotional because there were a lot of years in between between that season I think it was season three but that season mm-hmm. three and today there's been a couple of decades, yeah, maybe, yeah. and so it's. Um, I am uh, even more grateful, as overwhelmed, even more grateful, and feel 
very, very blessed to be in this place in my dotage. <laughs> well, congrats. Enjoy it. And I uh, can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Thank you. No problem, Scott. That was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.